Ecclesiastes chapter 10 this evening. Ecclesiastes chapter 10. We just have two more left and we'll be done. But just a couple more chapters. Hope this book has been a blessing to you as we try to go through it verse by verse. But Ecclesiastes chapter 10, looking at the first three verses this evening. Ecclesiastes chapter 10, starting with verse 1. Dead flies cause the ointment of the apothecary to send forth a stinking savor. So doth a little folly him that is in reputation for wisdom and honor. A wise man's heart is at his right hand, but a fool's heart is at his left. Yet also, he that is a fool walketh by the way, his wisdom faileth him, and he saith to everyone that, it, that he is a fool. Father, as we take these moments, Lord, to look into your precious word, I pray that you'd give us understanding. I pray your spirit would help us to grasp exactly what you're trying to communicate to us. Though this was written a few thousand years ago, Lord, we know it's for us today as well, for the ch as, well as it was for the children of Israel. Lord, help us not just to, to hear these words, but to understand it. Help us, Lord, not just to hear what has been preached, Lord, but help us to obey it. Uh, guide and direct in our lives, Father. Give us grace and mercy in our time of need. And I thank you for this evening and this opportunity to proclaim your word once again in Jesus' name. Amen. On the morning of February 22, 1911, an inventor by the name of Javier climbed the Eiffel, the Eiffel Tower. Yeah. Yeah, that, that, that's, that's kind of my day. Eiffel Tower to test a new parachute that he had devised for pilots. He checked the wind speed, took a nervous breath, and began the test. His parachute worked perfectly, floating safely to the ground. But Javier didn't take the jump himself, but attached a 160-pound test dummy to the parachute. But another inventor in the race uh, to perfect the parachute believed it was an act of cowardice to put this dummy on there and not go himself. So a man by the name of Rochette was an Australian tailor who denounced the use of this dummy and one year later arrived at the Eiffel Tower to prove his point, to prove the parach his parachute was superior. He posed for the throng of reporters and photographers and he announced, I'm so convinced that my device will work properly, I will jump with it myself. Javier was there, was there and pulled Rochette aside to try to talk him out of it. There were technical reasons it wouldn't work. For one, he was using less than half the amount of fabric used in the test parachutes. A team of experts uh, had also weighed in, warning Rochette that the parachute was too small and that he would break his neck in the fall. But come to find out, Rochette ignored them all. He was going to do it no matter what. He tested his parachute using dummies, and they crashed. He tested himself by jumping 30 feet into a haystack and had crashed. He tested himself at 20 feet with, without a haystack and had broken his leg and hit the ground. But still, he would not listen to common sense. Reporters covering the event recorded that when he jumped off the Eiffel Tower, he fell for nearly five seconds, accelerating constantly, until he hit the ground at 60 miles an hour, dying instantly in the fall. He became a dramatic example of so many tragedies today. He became an example of someone lacking just plain old common sense. 
It seems like today that common sense has become uncommon. I mean, just playing on what they used to call horse sense. I mean, just stuff that everybody used to know. Nowadays, you have to explain it and figure it out, and it doesn't make sense. What Solomon is trying to do in this passage is trying to make some common sense to those who would listen to his wise words, and that's what we're going to do tonight, look at some, some things that hopefully will help us in our life to have common sense when we're in a world that it's not so common. I guess it's not working right now, so it's all right. It might come and go. <clears throat> but it says in verse 1, Dead flies cause the ointment of the pocket there to send forth a stinking savor. So doth a little folly to him that is a reputation for wisdom and honor. In the ancient world, perfume was highly was a highly skilled science. In Daniel's generation of Babylon, the wise men, the magi, were in charge of the best formulas. Royalty during the days of Esther had merchants scouring the known world for the latest fragrance, cologne, lotions, and perfumes. You couldn't just go down to Belks. You couldn't just go down to Dillard's. You couldn't just go down to your Walgreens and get some type of smelly stuff. No, someone had to go out and find the right right type of ingredients to make it, and it was very difficult. So in this context, a little bit of a bug or in this situa in situation, a, a fly getting into that apothecary, that mix uh, that would produce a, 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 a stinking savior. Hopefully it smells better than stinking. Uh, you know, if a little bit, a little bit of a bug in there would ruin the whole thing. And so what Solomon is saying, this is just like that, a little folly to him that is reputation for wisdom and honor. It's like if you go down there and you spend your seven bucks on your Starbucks or your Dunkin' Donuts or whatever it is, and you turn away to talk to somebody, and you look back, and you're getting ready to see a, take a sip, and you see a fly. Well, some of you maybe look the other way, would dig the fly out because it costs so much. You just spent seven bucks. But some of you would throw it out. I'm not going to see a, row, a show of hands, which one you would do. But, you know, just, it, it happens. And what, what he's basically saying is a little, bit of, a little bit of sin can ruin so much. Small sins, small sins, oh, we get it, we got it? Oh, we get it? Yes, no, maybe? Ah, there we go. Small sins will eventually dirty a good reputation. That fly is kind of ugly up close, isn't it? Looking from a distance, they don't look so bad, but they get up close, they look pretty rough. Imagine that little creature in your soup or in your coffee. How would you respond to that? Well, small sins will eventually dirty a good reputation. Uh, I think about the verse. Oh. I was, going to, I was going to show the verse, but it just died. There's a verse that talks about how the little foxes spoil the, the vines. Little things. I was thinking about the former coach of Georgia Tech and UCF. His name was George O'Leary. He lied on his resume to Notre Dame and was fired for it. You say, well, man, it's, it's just a resume. It's just a little thing. No, it's your, it goes to your integrity. Nowadays, people look at stuff and say, oh, it's no, no big a deal. Dear friend, Wrong is still wrong, and right is still right. doesn't matter who does it or who, or who doesn't do it. doesn't make a difference if the, the most important person in the world does it or the least and more, most important. It has nothing to do with the stature or how much a person makes. The Bible says what is true and what is right and what is honest 
and what's approvable, we should stick to that. That should be our standard. Our standard should be, well, somebody else got, not, should not be, uh, well, somebody else got away with it. Or, or that's what that family does. Or look, look that's, that's what's popular. Or, or look, everybody else is doing it. No. Is it right? There used to be, remember years ago, what was it, 10 years ago, people used to wear those bracelets. What would Jesus do? Remember those? We don't have to worry about what Jesus, I don't have to ask a question about what Jesus do. We just look at the New Testament and say, what did he do? The Bible says about Jesus that he went around doing good. The Bible says about Jesus that he was perfect, that he was undefiled, that he did not sin one time. You say, preacher, that's impossible. I understand it's impossible, but we should strive for it. We should strive to live in such a way that, that we, by the grace of God, grow in our relationship with God. We grow in our relationship with others. We, we, we're, not, we're not just... Uh, uh, just have a, a mediocre Christian life that we're, we're not just uh, you know saying well I, I, I'm doing good enough well we, we don't do that in our education do we would you say if you got a C you'd just be doing good enough well some people might and they say some of the best people in the world are C students I heard the president what was it Bush who have a, was a C student at Harvard but if that's your best then that's your best but if you're a, if you're a C student and you could be an a student, you're not doing your best. And I believe to do less than your best is sin. Because the Bible says, whatsoever you do, do it heartily. Whether you eat, drink, or whatsoever you do, do all to the glory of God. You do the best you can by the grace of God. Naturally, the Lord knows our frame. He knows our circumstances. He knows our situation. In times, we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna, we're gonna fail. But the world says, oh, lighten up. Get close to the line as you can without getting caught. The Bible says, stay away from the line. Stay away from the line. Flee the line. Tell other people about the line so they'll flee the line. Not get as close to the lines as you can. Charles Spurgeon, the great preacher in 1859, preached a, a famous sermon called Little Sins. He said, the wisest among us have always been afraid of little sins. We recognize that hell is slumbering in the smallest sins. There's a word of iniquity hidden in a single act or thought or imagination of sin, and we should avoid it with horror. We should avoid it with horror. The problem is we've accepted so much today, and we say, ah, oh, it's not that big a deal. I mean, in every area of the church, how things are different, right? And we say, oh, it's not that big a deal. Well, it's little, little sins can destroy a reputation. By the grace of God, if we know, he that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is sin. That's why it's so important on a daily basis to have a clear conscience with God and have a clear conscience with other people and live by the grace of God knowing you're right with God and right with other people. Secondly, not only will small sins destroy a good reputation, secondly, wisdom is doing right and foolishness is doing wrong. The Bible says in verse 2, a wise man's heart is at his right hand, but a fool's heart is at his left. Now, it's not saying, you know, if you're right-handed, you're wise. If you're left-handed, you're a fool. It's not, it's not saying that. 
And it's not saying if, you know, some people would say, well, you know, the right, the conservatives are right and the, the left are, are fools. It's, it's not saying that. It's not saying that at all, though some people would probably like to uh, make, make that a statement. It's saying, basically, even though people, when they swear an oath, they use their right hand. Uh, when they shake hands, it's typically with our right hand. We use our right hand typically more. It refers to in Colossians chapter 3 and verse 1, God's authority in which Jesus sits at the right hand of the Father. So interesting, all those references to the right hand. But Solomon is simply saying that there's the, matter, the master control, which is our heart, that, de- that determines and dominates us which, in which way we go, whether to the right hand or to the left hand. It's that, that inner, the heart is not that organism inside of you. Your, your heart is your inner man. And the, 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 what your heart determines, where your heart is, is what direction you'll go in your life. That's why the Bible says, keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. One of the most foolish things you could ever hear is somebody say, well, just follow your heart. No, dear friend, don't follow your heart, for the heart is deceitful and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Don't follow the heart. Follow the word of God. Your heart will lead you into sin. I've met so many men and women who said, well, I got married, and I loved them, and I just had to marry them, and I just had to fall in love. We just had to have a child together. We just followed our heart. And five years later, they're crying and weeping and said, well, what that good What good that do you? What good that do you? You're not following your heart. Hopefully you're following God's word. Because God has stipulations about marriage. God has stipulations about so many different areas of life. Don't just follow your heart or follow your gut. Follow what God says. What does God say about the matter? Follow him. Follow his word. We say trust in the Lord with all our heart. We don't say trust in our heart and in the Lord, do we? Do you trust the Lord with all your heart? Or do you trust your heart? Well, I just have a feeling about that. Dear friends, feelings can change. In the morning, I don't even feel like I'm a Christian. I mean, I don't even feel like I'm saved first thing in the morning. I don't even know where, you know, until I have my first cup of coffee, I don't even know where I'm at sometimes. If I went by my feelings, I would be at home watching a game on the, on the TV, drinking tea, and enjoying myself. If I went by feelings... If I would have all my feelings, I'd go into something that makes a whole lot more money. If I had more feelings, I'd do a lot of things different. You don't go by your feelings. You go by faith. You go by faith. The Bible says, the just shall live by faith. Feelings will fluctuate. Some days you feel up. Some days you feel down. Sometimes you feel in the middle. Don't go by your feelings. Go by faith. Trust in the Lord. What does the Bible say? I've repeated this over and over, and I'll repeat it again. There's three things that should determine your decision-making in life. First of all, with the Word of God. Always go to the Word of God. What does the Bible say? Secondly, go to wise counselors. Go to people who have either gray hair or no hair and ask them about the Bible. Don't go to, young, don't go to your peers, because your peers probably know about as much as you do. Go to people who've been around a little while, who've walked a block, who've had kids, who've raised kids, maybe have grandkids, but have studied the Word of God and know the Word of God, go to those folks. And secondly, the witness of the Spirit, peace. So if I'm making a decision of life, I'm going to study the Word of God. What does the Bible say? Secondly, I'm going to go to wise counselors. What do people who know the Word of God say? And thirdly, do I have peace about it? 
And if the first two are true and I don't have peace, I'm still not going to do it. If you don't have peace. Somebody asked me a question just the other day, and they, 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 they were not sure what to do about it. And they had recommendations to do it. They had wisdom to do it. There was no reason in the world for them not to do it. In fact, a lot of people and what they were about to do, go ahead and do what they were thinking about doing. And, and I said, well, how do you, what do you feel about it? He said, I just, they, the person said, I just can't get peace about it. And I said to them, if you just can't get peace, then just don't do it. Don't do it. Because the Spirit of God witnesses with our spirit about the direction that we go. And we should, we should be sensitive to his, to his spirit. There's been times I'll go into a store and my spirit is troubled and I get out of there like slickety split. Sometimes I'm in a parking lot and I sense something with my spirit. You might think you're crazy, but I sense something. I jump in that car and I go. I asked the Lord directly to lead me and to guide me and to show me the path that I should go. And if I don't listen to his promptings, dear friend, I'm a fool. Listen to the word of God. Listen to wise people around you and listen to the spirit of God. How important it is. A wise man's heart inclines him to the right, but a fool's heart to the left. He's clearly announcing if you're leaning towards the right, you're wise. But if you're leaning towards the left, if you're going away from God's word, if you're going away from the truth, you're a fool. Common sense would say you need to lean on God and his word. But folly says, no, don't box yourself in. Don't ruin the party. Don't worry about God. He probably doesn't even exist. He does exist. But the Bible says the fool says in his heart, there is no God. The fool says that. First of all, small sins will eventually dirty a good reputation. Secondly, listening to your heart isn't always right. Thirdly, fools will eventually be distinguished by their actions. Verse 3, Yea, also, when he that is a fool walketh by the way, his wisdom faileth him, and he saith to everyone that he's a fool. The Bible says that he that walketh with wise men shall be wise, but a companion of fools shall be destroyed. Who do you keep company with? This is not just something for teenagers. It's not just something for 20-somethings. It's not just something for 30-somethings. It's for everybody. Dear friend, be careful who you spend time with. Who you spend time with is who you are. You can't lay down with a dog and not rise up with fleas. You can't run with a skunk and not smell like a rose. Dear friend, be careful. Be careful your associations. Don't say, well, okay, this is the secular world. In the secular world, I always run around with people, you know, in the secular, but the spiritual world is different. No, dear friend, everything is, sec- everything is spiritual. Be careful about joining and joining in, uh, in connection with people who are wicked. From, from, I see people all the time who spiritually in church make wise decisions, but when they get outside the church and they do have dealings and business with people, they make some of the, most, the dumbest decisions in the world. In the world. And what again, the Bible, the truth is not just true on Sunday and Sunday night and Wednesday. It's true throughout your whole life. And everything we do, we should bring our faith into it, our business practices, our decision making, our retirement, everything. Ask God his will in every part of your life. There's no corner of your life. There's no closet of your life that you shouldn't allow God in your life. 
It shouldn't be a place where, oh, no, God can't touch that. Now, God, and I'll let, you, I'll let you in this room, but that closet there, you can't get in that closet. Now, that's private stuff. That's private. Oh, dear friend, God's, God knows. Where are you going to go that God's not there? Remember David talked about in Psalms? In heaven, he's there. The depths of the sea, he's there. He's everywhere. He's omnipotent, and he's all-powerful. Remember, scripture of fool is not a derogatory term. It's a descriptive term for one who denies the creator God. The Bible says in Romans chapter 1, verse 21, because that when they knew God, they glorified him not as God, neither were thankful, but came vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Possessed, professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. How many people today claim to be wise, claim to have so much knowledge? But there, the beginning of wisdom is the fear of God, is the fear of the Lord. That's the beginning of it. Doesn't matter how much education, doesn't matter how much money, doesn't matter how much intelligence, doesn't matter how many degrees you have, without a knowledge of God, it's worthless. It's worthless. What does a profit a man if he gain the whole world? He has everything but loses his own soul. What does it profit him? It doesn't profit him at all. What does it profit Bill Gates if he doesn't know Jesus? What does it profit, what did it profit Frank Sinatra who, did, who did, maybe probably didn't know Jesus? What did it profit Steve Jobs if he didn't know Jesus? What did it profit him? I came across a writing of some famous people over the last 200 years who analyzed an exhaustive study determined that these people believed to be the meaning of life and none of them really came up with much of, of an answer. 17% of them believed that life was simply to be enjoyed because once it was lived, it was over. You know, you live, you die like a dog. 11% said that life had no meaning at all. This was from a man by the name of Clarence Darrow. He said, that life is like a ship tossed by every wave and by every wind, a ship headed to a port and no harbor, to no port and no harbor, with no rudder, no compass, no pilot, simply floating for a time and then lost in the waves. <laughs> Five percent believe we were created, created our own meaning for life, such as Carl Sagan, who wrote, We live in a vast, awesome universe where humanity clings to obscure clot of rock. The significance of our lives derives from our own wisdom. I think Carl Sagan knows different now. I think he knows different now. You see, that type of thinking, those type of words, is like a man jumping off a faulty parachute off the Eiffel Tower. It's not common sense. Instead of, instead of looking to the Word of God, they look to themselves. They look to the sky. They look at other people and trying to find the meaning of life. Instead of asking where we come from, what's the meaning of life? Is there a God in the universe? What's beyond this life? They don't look to the word of God. They look to the wisdom of this world. A few years ago, researchers at the University of California at Berkeley announced they would be part of a $100 million project for space travel to see if there's intelligent life in the universe. Maybe they have some answers. They plan to send tiny nanocrafts traveling at one-fifth the speed of life to Alpha Centauri. Hundred million dollars to go towards the space unknown. Stephen Hawking, alive at the time, expresses, expressed the purpose of this project by stating, it's important to know if we're alone in the dark. It's Carl Sagan, again, thought that spirituality could be scientifically Informed and traditional religion should be abandoned and replaced with belief systems that around, uh, revolve around the scientific method. 
Never mind the word of God. Never mind the history of the world. Never mind archaeology. Never mind that if you go to the library in Washington, D.C., the most known book, books about any subject is on Jesus Christ. Never mind an empty tomb. No mind, never mind any of those things. Because you can't feel it, because you can't see it, because you can't hear it, because you can't understand it, because you can't grasp it. It must not be true. For dear faith, dear friend, without faith, it is impossible to please God. Christianity is about faith. It's not about what you see. It's about what you believe. So man, mankind, troubled by the dead flies of his sin and his character, Troubled by a sinful heart that dominates his direction. Troubled by foolishness he senses in the world around him. Clings to a false religion that removes a sufficient atonement of Christ for our sins and for our redemption. Yes, it makes common sense to be honest person that needs God. But not, but not, but not focusing on ourselves, but what Christ has done for us. What has Christ done for us? He has lived a perfect life. He did shed his blood. He was buried. He did rise again the third day. He is in the right hand of the Father, making intercession for us. I hope we believe that. I hope we trust that. See, it's one thing to have a heart that leads you to make a wrong decision down here about where to go shop or where to do your taxes or what coffee to drink. It's one thing to have your reputation sullied because, okay, maybe you lied on your resume. It's another thing to make foolish decisions or even hang around foolish people. Those are all things that we do. We all make bad decisions from time to time. But the worst thing you can do is live your life believing there's no God. The worst thing you can do is turn away from the truth. The worst thing you can do is turn away from the conviction of the Holy Spirit. The worst thing you can do is say there's no God. The religion... In Christianity, there's nothing to it. Oh, dear friend, I hope you know Christ is your Savior because the most important decision you can make in life is trusting Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. There was a church in Northern California I read about recently. It has portraits of famous people hanging in its beautiful lobby. There's a portrait of Socrates, another of Eleanor Roosevelt, a portrait of Abraham Lincoln, Gandhi, and even one of Jesus at the bottom of it is written a part of a verse which says, Ye are all children of God. And that's a lie. That's not, we're, we're not all children of God. The Bible says, Ye are all children of God through faith in Jesus Christ. The only way we're children of God is knowing Christ as our Savior. Has there been a time in your life where you made that decision? See, dear friend, I was born in sin. And, the, and there is not absolutely, there's absolutely nothing I have to do to die and go to hell. Because of Adam's decision. Because of one man's sin, Adam, we're all cursed. But because of one man's obedience, Jesus Christ, we all have the opportunity for salvation. The question is, will we receive it? We're all sinners. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. There's none righteous, no, not one. But God commended his love towards us and that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. 
Every one of us were born sinners. The question is, will we accept Jesus Christ and become saints? We were born in this world ain'ts. No hope, no help. We can leave this world saints. And we can cross that narrow sea and go to a place where there's no more pain and no more suffering and eventually no more crying. Where Jesus Christ is preparing a mansion for us even as we speak. Oh, that's going to be a great day when we see him. The question is, do you know him? What direction are you leaning? Remember that old Disney film, The Lorax? Remember that? They were cutting all the trees down. I don't know what message they were trying to give, but I love the line from the Lorax where he said to that guy, which way are, be careful which way you're leaning. Be careful, be careful which way you're leaning. Which way are you leaning? In your Christian life, are you leaning more towards faith? Or are you leaning more towards your, your fear and your flesh? The temptation is life, in life is to lean on our own knowledge, our own experience, our own wisdom, our own intelligence, our own feelings, our own thinking, to trust that. All those things will fail you. All those things will fail you. The only thing you can trust in is the word of God. This book will keep you from sin, or sin will keep you from this book. Which way are you leaning this evening? Father, we thank you for tonight. Thank you for your goodness. Lord, help us to recognize that little sins can destroy us. That our heart, Lord, is not something we can trust. It will fail us every time to not put our trust in our heart or our feelings, but to trust in you. Help us to walk away from the path of the foolish. Help us to walk away from those who choose to live a foolish life. Because the Bible says the companion of fools shall be destroyed. Help us to seek the righteous, to seek wisdom from the righteous, companionship for the righteous, to love righteousness and to hate evil, to love truth and abhor evil. Oh, God, help us in our lives. With head bowed and eyes closed, I pray tonight that you know Jesus Christ, your personal Savior. There's been a time in your life where you recognize that you're a sinner and Jesus Christ is your only hope. And if you're here tonight and you're not sure of that, if you're here tonight and you just, you just, you just, you have doubts, and your friend, there's nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong to doubt it, but the question is, are you going to stay with those doubts? I wouldn't live in doubt. If I had a doubt about it, I would settle it right now. Even though you may, have made, you may have made a decision when you were 5 or 15 or 12, if you're having doubts about your, your salvation, why not take care of it tonight? During an invitation, I just encourage you to come, and if you're a lady, my wife will take the Bible and show you how you can be sure you're saved. If, if you're a man, I take the Bible. If you'd like to talk to us afterward, we'd love to take the time. It would be our pleasure to take a time, the time and show you how you can be sure that you're saved. But if you're saved this evening and maybe you're struggling in an area, maybe something that I talked about, maybe something totally different, some other area that you're struggling in, whether it be fear or doubt or worry or whatever it may be, anxiety, distress, whatever it may be, I pray you would cry out to God. Not try to solve your problems by your own feelings. Not try to manipulate them or figure it out or fix it. But trust God, especially now in your time of need. Let's stand to our feet. If God has spoken to your heart in some way, you'd like to come and just ask God to help you at this altar. The altar is open this evening, whether for salvation or some type of spiritual help. We encourage you to come.
and ask the Lord to help you this evening as the piano plays. Whatever the Lord encourages you to do, would you do it? Ask God to help you tonight, give you strength, give you grace, give you hope in that dark place. Listen to the still small voice of the Spirit tonight. Father, thank you again for tonight. Thank you for everyone who came out. I pray, Lord, through your word that you brought peace and, and light, revelation to help each one in their time of need. And maybe not even for this time, maybe for a time in the future. Lord, I pray that you just bless God and direct the rest of the service. Meet each prayer request according to your perfect will. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Well, we're focusing on our first Bible International Biblical Approach to the 1040 Window uh, it's by Brent and Shelley Morwell. Uh, it says, Acts 3, 5, expecting to receive something from them. And he's quoting the verse, the, uh, the quote that William Carey uh, shared with us. We heard this last week from Brother G.S. Nyer. Expect great things from God. Attempt great things for God. These folks are attempting, of course, to get the Bible out. They say their first Bible International is ministry of First Baptist Church of Milford, Ohio, committed to bi providing Bibles, uh, Bibleless people groups their first Bible through the means of Bible translation. So they're one of the several groups that we uh, support. They try to, by the grace of God, get the Word of God in the hands of people who do not have a Bible. Can you imagine living your life without having the Word of God? I can't even imagine that. Uh, I love the Bible. I probably have more than I should have. 